Welcome to the Mom Manual. Motherhood doesn't come with instructions, but it should. We are on a mission to highlight ordinary moms doing extraordinary things to build the ultimate mom manual. Every week, I have the distinct honor of speaking with women about the lessons they've learned and the inspiration that got them to where they are today. Join us for a conversation that will spark creativity, provide actionable tips, and celebrate the ordinary and extraordinary moments of motherhood. The Mom Manual starts now. Hey everyone, it is Tara Williams with the Mom Manual. I am so excited to introduce Alyssa Miller to the podcast today. She is a registered dietitian. She's the creator of Table Talk, the owner of Nutrition for Littles Instagram, and the host of Nutrition for Littles podcast. Alyssa, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Alyssa, can you tell all our listeners a little bit of your background and how you became a registered dietitian and really went into this world? Yeah, absolutely. So I was studying nutrition in undergrad and I could not stop reading about it. And I remember my dad used to always tell me what you do for work. You better love it. Like you're going to do it for the rest of your life. You better enjoy it. And I just literally could not stop learning more and more about nutrition. And it actually got to the point where my mom's good friend's daughter (laughs) had an issue where nutrition was the only thing that solved it. She went on all these different medications and she was having seizures and she went on this special diet. I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of it. It's called the ketogenic diet. And it was actually created for children in this instance. And I was, my mind was blown. I was like, are you kidding me? Even like medicine couldn't help her and get her seizures down. She went on a special diet for a period of time, completely cured seizure free. And I was obsessed. And from that moment on, I was like, okay, I want to go into nutrition. I 100% want to work with kids. This is what I want to do. And so I remember being an undergrad and learning about picky eating specifically. So for those that don't know, I focus and I specialize in picky eating, of course. And I remember learning about this in school and it all seemed so easy. I was like, oh, well, of course, of course your kids are going to eat whatever you put on the plate. Right. Fast forward a few years, I became a mom, but (laughs) that's a next part of the story. So essentially I learned all this information. I'm super interested in it, but real life hits you. You want to get a job, you find a job. And I worked actually with tube fed patients. So people who couldn't swallow by mouth. And it was actually super interesting because I worked with all different ages and a big part of my job that I loved so much was actually helping patients get off the tube feeding, which is basically a direct port into your stomach and back to eating food by mouth. And a big process of this is learning how to chew again, learning how to move food around your mouth. A lot of the process that our babies actually learn around six months of age and going back to kind of those basics. And at the same time I was having kids and my son right around two, two and a half ish started to get picky. And this is a really normal time for this to happen between 18 months and 24 months. And so my son started to exhibit picky eating behaviors. And there was part of me that remembered that undergrad from a few years ago, the education I had gotten. And I was like, Oh, I know exactly what to do, except for I had no idea what to do. And I remember very specifically, I was sitting in a Chick-fil-A and we were with friends who had a daughter about the same age as my son, maybe a little bit older. And she wanted to go play in the play place. And they asked her to take three more bites before she could go play. And then my son looked at me and he said, I want to go play. And I was caught in the middle between how do I want to handle this? Right. It was like my first parenting decision. And I was just like, okay, I can either kind of follow my friend's advice and how they parent, which I think we've all felt that tug, or I can try something different. 
But I also knew that I didn't want to offend the friends that I was around. So I just kind of said the same thing, like, Hey, three more bites, then you can go play. Wait, sure I enough, need to he pause did. you here because you're so conscientious. First off, I wouldn't even notice that that's like a parenting decision. Maybe you have to <laughs> totally line of work to think about that. And second, I'm just like, whatever, go play. Yes, <laughs> I exactly. It, it felt like a defining moment, especially because of my, like my history and what I had learned. And so I kind of did the same thing. And here's the thing that I think a lot of dietitians won't tell you is that pressure actually does work, but it doesn't work long-term. And mm-hmm. so when you say something like, Hey, three more bites and you can go play the first few times they hear that it usually does yield results. If it didn't, we wouldn't keep doubling down on it. And so he took a few bites, went to go play. And then we had another kind of standstill at the table and another one. And it kind of snowballed into the situation where I was like, okay, hold up. I remember learning something different in school, but yet parenting and the snowball of parenting, right. Of everything just coming on at once, I was just in survival mode. And so I just realized we were going to down this path that I didn't want to keep going down. And so I went back to the basics, went back to the research and really dug in and started putting some of these things that I had learned to the test and it started to work and things started to reverse. And not only, uh, I don't even know how to describe this. It's not just about the vegetables. It was our relationship. Like my relationship with my toddler was deteriorating because I was adding pressure and he was mad at me and mealtimes weren't fun. And things started to shift so much that of course there's like the bonus of actually getting vitamins and minerals, but our relationship started to flourish. Like truly meals were a place of connection between us. Not always, it's still a toddler, right? But there was just these moments of real, real connection. And I saw this opportunity to say, Hey, this is something I want to help other parents with. And I think I can do that. And I think I can do that through Instagram. So that's how I started the nutrition for little podcast and Instagram. <laughs> I love that. And before we started the podcast, I told Alyssa, this isn't an area I'm super familiar because I have four kids and I wouldn't consider them super picky eaters. I would say my son is the pickiest of all four. Like he won't eat fish. He won't eat shrimp. So we have salmon and shrimp a lot in our house. And I used to make something different for him. And now we do the, you know, you have to take three bites But even the other Mm. night, I'm trying to think of what I made. Everything I make is pretty benign. It's not like I'm cooking haddock or something. And Mm -hmm. we did ice cream sundaes. We cut up all the Halloween candy and we folded it into ice cream. Like it was cold stones. And I told him, if you don't finish your food, you cannot participate in this. So you can Mm -hmm. finish or you can do it. And he just chose to go up to his room, which really broke my heart. because I was like, oh, he doesn't like eating it that much that he's going to choose to go to sleep instead of doing this like super fun activity. So I am really excited to listen to this today and get your tips. So what is going to be your first takeaway for everyone listening? Yeah, absolutely. Hands down is what I call the division of responsibility, which was actually coined by another dietitian, um, Ellen Satter. And really the idea behind this, and this is actually what I learned in undergrad that sounded really easy, but of course we all know things that sound simple rarely are. And this is kind of the rub with the division of responsibility. So what that is, is this idea that we all have roles at the table and around food. And if we fulfill our roles and don't cross the boundary into what our kids' roles are, that this will keep kind of a symbiotic relationship and that things will continue to develop. So in this instance, division of responsibility, it is the parent's job to decide what foods go on the plate when you're eating and where this is kind of a 10,000 foot view because we can get a little microscopic about it. And then the child's job is to decide if they're going to eat the food that's presented and how much. 
And so this can feel really uncomfortable for parents, right? I'm saying, no, no, no. I want to decide. I want to decide how many bites they eat, how many, you know, florets of broccoli they eat, because I know nutrition is important for my kid to develop. This is a very important time for their brain and all these things, right? And we want them to grow and develop and we love them. And we know good nutrition is good nutrition. And so there's a lot of times where we cross that boundary where we decide, you know, count their bites or pressure them or make them sit at the table till their plate's empty. And like I said, kind of at the beginning was sometimes these tactics do work, but they typically only work for a period of time. And even it sounds like you experienced that I'm saying this used to work. And now all of a sudden he is not even wanting the ice cream and he's going to his room. And that's because when we continue to kind of cross those boundaries and try to take control of what's theirs, this is where picky eating starts to kind of spiral out of control. And so following that division of responsibility is way easier said than done. But in those moments, you get to decide what goes on the plate. So of course I always recommend balancing the plate, giving them good options and having at least one food that they're typically willing to eat. It doesn't have to be a favorite food, but something that they can fill their bellies up with. So we don't have them literally starve, which is not a helpful strategy. And then they get to decide what they eat. And when that pressure is actually taken off, they have more autonomy and autonomy breeds pride and confidence, which gives them that confidence to try new things, but it does take time. Well, and I think we do try to do that. And I don't know why I cannot remember. It was whatever the meat was and, oh, 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 I mean, salmon burgers that I remember. Yeah. He hates salmon. So I thought if I had a salmon burger, then I put it in a hamburger bun and I put ketchup on top of it and relish. And so the other kids said they didn't really like them. And you know what, this is, this is a question for you because my husband comes up and he's like, these are horrible. I know why they like them. They don't taste good. And I said, be quiet because as soon as he comes in and says that, then all the kids are like, I'm not going to eat it either. So I actually think they're great, but I have two girls and they're eight and nine. And then my son is six and a half and I have a three and a half. And so, um, the other three will eat. I could tell they didn't like it, but they were like fighting through it so they could get the cold stone. But I also (laughs) made carrots and Brussels sprouts. And I did not give Beckett, he's my six and a half year old who's is a picky eater. I did not give him any Brussels sprouts because I knew he mm-hmm. wouldn't like it and I knew he'd throw a fit on it. And so I was like, he'll just eat the carrots and then he can have this hamburger thing because he loves hamburgers. But the problem is then my girls say, I don't want Brussels sprouts. Why doesn't Beckett have to eat them? How do you handle that if you have multiple children and you have a husband? <laughs> That's like two separate issues. But how do you handle yes, for sure. those? Yeah. This is funny. Cause this comes up in my DMS so frequently of like, does your program work on my husband? Like, can I, or can I take this program? So many moms are like, I'm the picky one. I don't like half the food that's out there. And so that is kind of an interesting conversation, but here's the thing with having multiple kids, especially, and this is why the division responsibility works so well is because when equally applied to all our kids, they're all equal and they're no longer looking at the other kids going, why don't they have to eat it? Because they also don't have to eat it. So we put it on their plate. So I always recommend whatever foods available to the family, it all goes on their plate. Now with pickier eaters, there's kind of some nuance there that are like really struggling, but typically it all goes on the plate, especially if you're pre-plating and then they get to decide even if the Brussels sprouts are on your son's plate, that's okay. He doesn't have to eat them. Or you can do family style where you put all the food in the middle. And some families like to have more rules around that. Like you at least have to serve yourself up some, it can be the tiniest bit of everything, but you don't have to eat it. Or some families are just like, take what you want. 
leave the rest and it's a little bit even lower pressure. And so having the food physically on everyone's plate then would kind of take away that feeling from your daughters. Like, wait, hold on. Why doesn't he have to have them on our plate? But we do. So there's no comparison there. And then once they're on their plate, when we're following the division of responsibility, no one has to, right. Being pressured into eating what's in front of them truly. And that, that can feel really scary. I can like, I can feel the pressure from the listeners right now going, wait, what? Wait, they can just not eat anything. He would only eat the carrots and he would never eat salmon or the chicken or the, you know, like any meat stuff. He would never eat any of that. So how does that work then? Yeah. So that's the fear that comes up, right? Is they're never going to, they're never willing to. And here's what I will kind of say, I'll, I'll answer that, but I will flip it the other way as well. All of the research shows that when we pressure our kids to eat things, they rarely, if ever eat them as adults. And so this is, comes back to kind of the idea of what's more important as a parent. Is it today eating the broccoli, taking the bite, or is it that they have a good relationship with broccoli, like broccoli, realize it makes their body feel better and function better and want to continue it in their diet for the rest of their life. Yeah. And that's the mindset that I take. It's just like, 10,000 foot view. Right. And so with fish, fish is a hard one too. Right. And so we kind of think of it the same way. It's like, okay, I would love it if one day they eat fish, but I know several adults who don't like fish. We all kind of have our food preferences. So the only way that we can guarantee our kids won't eat something is by stopping offering it by stopping, putting it on the plate, by cooking it, bringing it in the home. Right. So we want to continue to give them exposures. The research suggests that it's minimum or average, I should say 30 times exposed to a food before a child will try it or like it. So typically if you're listening to this podcast or you follow me or you're interested in picky eating, you likely have a pickier eater. That's probably going to fall on the higher end of that. And so just when we think of, even if you have salmon and fish all the time in your home, like let's take salmon, for example, how many times do you probably serve that a year? Do you think me every week? Well, no, because he doesn't like it. So I would, Mm -hmm. I, I at first would make him something different. And then the other kids would say, well, we want chicken or chicken nuggets or, you know, and so I I just, I don't really serve it as much anymore. I mean, yeah. And so even when we kind of put some math to this and we're like, okay, 30 times on average, even if we made salmon every single week, that's 52 exposures in a year. Right. So that can take a lot of time for them. Right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so we want to continue exposing them to these foods because here's the thing. And, and there are a lot of strategies that are low or no pressure that I teach on my page and my podcast, and of course, in table talk in depth that we can encourage them without pressuring them. But here's the thing is when we continue to expose them in a low pressure way, when we give them control and domain back over their body, and we continue to pair it with foods that they trust, we sit down, we eat the foods in front of them one day they're going to like touch it, right. Then they're going to maybe put it on their fork. Then maybe they're going to dip it or douse it and ketchup. Then they're going to lick the ketchup off. Then one day they might take a bite and they'll tell you they hate it and they never want to eat it again. And then the next time they take another bite and they actually swallow it this time. Right. And it's a progression. It's a slow progression. And I know parents don't want to hear that. I wish there was a way I could say, Oh, tomorrow they'll eat all the foods, but this does take time. And I try to remind parents too, that they're brand new eaters. So a lot of times, especially, I mean, your son's six and a half, He's only had six years of experience with food. We've had decades where we can even look at something like a brand new food to us. So let's say pomegranate, and we can kind of guess what that's going to taste like based on other food experiences we've had. And we can start to kind of connect these dots and kids can't do that a, because they don't have the experience, but also because their brain literally is not formed yet to be able to do that until their teenage years, at least. And so 
we start to just think of it that way of exposing them, giving them the opportunity, creating a positive experience for them so that hopefully one day they try it. And also being okay, knowing that we all have different food preferences for myself. I don't like olives or mushrooms. Very rarely will you see me eat olives, particularly sometimes mushrooms. Cause I try to model trying it in front of my kids, but I don't love them. So yeah. we're probably also not going to bat a hundred on trying to get our kids to like eat all the foods in the world, you know? Well, I think it's so interesting. I mean, this is really like, you know, losing the battle to win the war. Right. And when you look at it from the perspective of, I could win this today and he could have the ice cream, but then he's going to grow up and never have salmon again. I'm like, Ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah. This is just never something that I had thought about, you know, what my son does. And I would think a lot of people who are listening, or you get this question a lot. And now the more we're talking, I'm like, no, he definitely is a picky eater. Cause I'm thinking of all these scenarios and it's not, he's never struggled to get nutrition though. Like I do have some yeah. friends who eat so little that where they're, where they're truly not getting like any dairy or, you know, whatever they need. So I've never put him in that camp, but he will put the food in his mouth and it's like, he's choking, like he's gagging on it. And I used to really pressure him and and be like, eat it and stand over him. And now I'll just say, you can sit as long as you want. You don't have to eat Mm -hmm. it, but you won't get dessert. So it's your choice. And then his siblings are so sweet. Like his two sisters will come over and they'll say, I'll take a bite for you. You know, things like oh, that. Yeah. I mean, he, he is, it's like this physical reaction. So how do you deal yeah. with that? If you're, you know, they, they're wanting to do it, but they're sitting at the table, literally gagging, like gagging. Yes, for sure. So there's kind of two, probably more, but two for our purposes today, reasons that that gagging is happening. So there's one that's more oral motor, like they need to be evaluated to the, the physicality of their movements. And so first I'd recommend doing that, especially with gagging around six years of age. So once we go past the baby stages, baby stages, very normal to gag actually encouraged and good. Um, but once we get older, there's kind of that, then we have kind of like the picky eater gag, which is actually a physical response to emotional stress. Right. And so when we do see excessive pressure put on the kids, they start to build it up even further and further in their mind. Right. 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 Dig their heels in. And we've seen kids do this and they could do this on anything where you're like, no, you will eat it. And they're like, no, I won't. Yes, you will. No, I won't. And they get, they dig, 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 dig. And sometimes that can actually manifest in a physical way, such as gagging, even if they don't seem like they have control over it. Um, this is actually a, a manifestation of them digging their heels in. And so what's really wild and seems so counterintuitive and trust me, I know that when you actually release that pressure and it's so funny because we have like a bowl in our house, especially when my son was struggling with picky eating, I don't put it on the table every time now that he was allowed to either take a bite, spit it out into, or take the food off his plate, touch it and move it to that bowl. If he didn't want to eat it. Wow. And it was so funny because I called this bowl, the maybe later bowl. I didn't want to put a no label on it. A lot of people call this a no thank you bowl. I would say maybe later bowl just to keep their mind open. And if he would put it in that bowl, he would immediately look for my response. And if my response was no, 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 keep that on your plate or try it again, or try another bite or t- take two more bites or whatever, right. he would have dug his heels in, right? Through right. the food, continue to put it in the bowl, whatever. It would have been like a battle at the table versus I actually have experienced sitting there and telling him, and I know every kid's different, telling him that's okay. You don't have to eat it. So oftentimes then he would pull that food back out of the bowl and put it on his plate. 
But the second he would do that, he would look to me for my reaction. And I know that if I would have escalated it and maybe even praised him and said, way to go, buddy, I knew you would like it or good decision or whatnot. He would then recommit to his original decision. Right. And this is just the fact of toddlers and kids. They're learning how to kind of put in their autonomy and figure out who they are and the decisions they want to make versus when in the situation came up, I was cool as a cucumber, practically didn't look at him, ignored him, not in a way of like, you don't exist to me, but we're not going to talk about what you just did. And he ended up taking that food and putting it into his mouth and trying it. And this happened multiple times. And so this is what we're actually looking for is this low pressure technique where they do have the autonomy going back to the division of responsibility to decide if they eat that food and how much of it they eat. That's so interesting. So this, I felt like I went through with all my kids when they were in that terrible twos stage where we would walk out the door and they'd throw a fit and they'd say, I wanted to close the door. Or we would walk out and I'd say, put your shoes on and they would take their shoes off. But you're saying this defiance actually for picky eaters follows through even when they're older. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And especially if they're unable when they're toddlers to define themselves, to step into their own autonomy, this is the age that they focus in on that. That's what the research says and really build that first few levels of autonomy. If they're unable to do that, especially around food, but in any area that does continue into older childhood years and teenage years, and even into adulthood. Oh my gosh, that, wow. So then if I look at this and I say, nature versus nurture. I have four kids and he's one of four and I've raised them all considerably, you know, all things equal. Why then does he display this, but the other kids don't? Oh, that's such a great question. So I don't think that there's a hundred percent answer on this. Uh, There's a lot that we don't know, but I would point to other areas of your kids' lives. And I would assume if your kids are anything like my kids, that they all have their different things that they have troubles with or different ways of learning. And you can kind of discipline them differently because you know them differently, right? They respond to different things differently. And so the picky eating is kind of the same thing. This might just be the thing that they have for whatever reason unknown to us likely have kind of gotten stuck on. And so every kid has their thing, right. That they struggle with, or that they even excel in. So picky eating is kind of part of that. Part of it is genetics. Part of it is food accessibility. Part of it even could be the sibling relationships, the age that they were while their kids, you know, they might've seen something or had an experience or whatnot, or multiple times over and over again, more likely (laughs) that may have led them down this route. And then again, going back to, um, the more or physiological symptoms, maybe the gagging or something like that, that his oral motor skills maybe came in a little bit later or something that may have played a role. Obviously, I don't know. Um, There's a thousand different things that play into it, but um, it's just important to remember that every kid is different. Even with the exact same parents, picky eating seems to just pick up on some kids and get worse and worse by no fault of our own. You know, I have plenty of moms who go through my program and And, you know, even into my membership where they're doing all the quote unquote right things and their kid is still picky. And that's just kind of their thing. You know what I mean? You know, one other thing, and one of the reasons I love having a podcast so much is I feel like I get my personal answers always diagnosed. Totally, It's amazing. So with my son, one other thing with him that I've noticed is he goes through these periods of having almost what I consider a tick. So for example, for a while he had this loose tooth and it was, it was, he was always wiggling that loose tooth. Like his hand was always in there. And then the tooth fell out and he went through a period where he was kind of like licking his lips. 
So his mouth was always like, his lips were always kind of like raw, raw red almost and dry. And he went through this period where he didn't want us to hug him. Like he couldn't be touched. Like it was, it was like I had fire mm. on him. So he's gone through all these different things. And I think he has some sensory processing. That's, that's yeah. as a mom, what my gut tells me. So I wonder is this picky eating, is it related to things like, um, you know, any, uh, anything on the spectrum or an ADHD or an autism, is there a relationship there? Yeah, absolutely. So sensory processing disorder, whether diagnosed or undiagnosed can definitely play into uh, picky eating specifically. And again, going back to even to gen- to genetics and their exposure, and we see it uh, even more commonly in autism for sure, but also the relationship of how long it takes to kind of get over it or get over the hump is that, uh, um, essentially is takes a little bit longer in some of these kids, but a lot of the tactics are the same, the same that I would do for any neurotypical kid. Um, because the process is the same. And especially with sensory processing disorder, we're looking at getting more sensory input and the younger, the better we can start on that, that, but it is never too late to get them exposure to different textures. And that's the interesting thing about food. And especially it sounds like the food that you're serving in your home, right? Every broccoli florette is a little bit different. Every strawberry slice is a little bit different. One's more sweet, one's more sour, one's more crunchy, one's more wet. And so there's a lot of sensory input that's going into our mouth. And that's hard for any kid, especially kids with sensory processing disorder. So it can just take a little bit more time and being more intentional about bringing those different, um, sensory experiences to our kids, both at the table and away from the table. Yeah, that's, that's so important. I think this actually leads really perfectly into our next takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. The next one is really thinking about making the table, a positive place, having positive experiences with food as best you can. And this is what I teach inside table talk really, uh, in depth is this idea of setting them up for success. So we can do everything we can do kind of to tee them up so that all they have to do is sit down and knock it out of the park. Right. And this doesn't mean fully catering to them. I kind of say this thing where I say, you know, you want to be considerate, but you don't want to cater. So in being considerate, we want to set them up for success to have a positive experience with food. And a lot of times you see this go viral on Instagram with having fun with food, you know, put sprinkles on your broccoli and your kid will all of a sudden eat it. It's this idea of bringing play and bringing fun to the table and letting them have a positive experience with the food. It goes beyond that because what we're trying to do is have connections be made in their brain that this food is not to be feared because actually biologically they're told that some foods are to be feared specifically. And this is actually, I I hate to say this to parents because it sounds so like, it, it feels draining that you're like, actually, this is a good thing that they're picky (laughs) because this happens around this two years of age where they can start toddling away and putting things in their mouth that could be dangerous. Right. And we think of like the olden days, we weren't necessarily around our kids all the time and they could pop things in their mouth. So it's actually a defense mechanism that pops up. And then we tend to like overanalyze it and add pressure and do all these things that we could potentially have it get worse. And so anyway, bringing us back to this idea of fun around the table, It's really about creating these positive experiences with food, even if it doesn't go in their mouth, that they're no longer kind of afraid of it, right? And not afraid of it in the way that like broccoli is going to pick up a knife and start stab you, but really in this way that I can trust this food so much that I could put it in my mouth, which is a very vulnerable place to put anything, right? Like that's very vulnerable to pick something up that you've never seen before, haven't liked in the past don't know if you can trust it, don't know what it's going to taste like and put it in your mouth. And so, um, this is just kind of part of 
creating a positive mealtime experience and also an experience with that food. It's not always possible. They're still kids. We still need to hold our boundary and sometimes they're not going to be happy with that. And that's okay. So again, it's kind of riding that line between being considerate rather than catering to them, but making sure we're doing everything we can for them to experience the food in a positive way, even if they're not eating it. Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause when I think about making food fun, I think of putting whipped cream and sprinkles and, you know, but it doesn't have to be all the fanfare really. Right. Exactly. Sometimes it's making little jokes about, I have this um, story on one of my highlights where my son wasn't into Brussels sprouts, you know, I get it. And I, at one point started kind of humanizing these Brussels sprouts and told him that this was the baby Brussels sprout. And this was the big brother Brussels sprout. And this is the mommy and the daddy Brussels sprout and the grandma Brussels sprout. Cause you know, whatever it was shrivelly and this one was little and whatever. And he got super into it. And all of a sudden he wanted all the baby Brussels sprouts. And so I just kept handing him the tiniest Brussels sprout. And we kind of were laughing about how tiny these little Brussels sprouts were, and he loved it. And he just kept eating them. And soon enough, he had eaten so many Brussels sprouts, baby Brussels sprouts, but that really adds up and makes a difference. So sometimes it's just about humanizing the food or laughing about the food or listening to the food and how crunchy is your carrot. And sometimes it, it can be more about that and the experience or laughing and connecting with your kid rather than the whipped cream and sprinkles, which also can work. I love that. I think that's such a cute idea. And I think for anyone listening, they might say, oh, that's not going to resonate with a six and a half year old, but totally, it totally would. Yeah. I mean, my kids are still at the age where they all, you know, chippy, the little elf, we, we have this joke yeah. they can't touch them now, but starting December 1st, they can't touch them or he loses magic, you know? So it's like our right. kids, I think sometimes we think they're too old for something, but I love that idea. We're totally going to do that and make like puppets out of them. I'm, I'm thinking of all these fun things now. Okay. I love that. Yeah. Have a, a positive place at the table. Any other tips kind of like that? Cause I think that's such a great actionable one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kids love toothpicks, right? And of course you have to decide how your kid is with sharp pointy objects, but they do make food pricks, which are dull on the end, but I cannot even tell you how many foods I've put on a food prick and they were not interested in it off of the food prick. And on the food prick, they're like game changer. All of a sudden they'll eat it. Adding a dip is always a fun way to add a little something for your little one and kind of make it fun. You can dunk things, you know, tell them, I don't know you with ranch dressing, you can call it, I don't even know, white sauce or whatever, you know, just making it really fun and talking about how you're going to experience this food as well. So a lot of times I've kind of mentioned this several times on the podcast, but they don't even know what to experience what is going to happen, you know? And so sometimes even us just eating grapes and saying, oh, that one was really juicy, you know? Oh, so crunchy. Ooh, this one was a little shrivelly. Even just verbalizing our own experience can make it not only fun because we're being goofy, but also they are learning what to expect when they put that food in their mouth, which actually helps build trust. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Alyssa, what is our last takeaway? Yeah. So the last one, and we actually did already kind of touch on this, but I really want to drive it home because this is why I'm so passionate about what I do. It's less about just eating a bite of broccoli today and more about this long-term relationship with broccoli and really raising a healthy, happy, intuitive eater that's able to tune into their bodies, that's able to enjoy foods that knows how different foods make them feel and chooses things because 
they do feel better when they eat broccoli and ice cream is fun to go out with mom and have an ice cream date and, you know, making these choices because it's coming from an internal place rather than an external place of, oh, mom says I have to eat this so that I can get X, Y, Z. And it's rather coming from this internal place of I'm hungry. What's going to fill me up? What's going to keep me full for the longest? How can I build out a healthy, balanced plate and meal? And really, you know, one day the goal, right, is to send these kids on their way and be able to meal plan and grocery shop and cook and eat for themselves. And we're not always going to be there to tell them to eat their broccoli. So this kind of foundational time that they're in our home is really important to teach them how to take this into their life outside of our home. Yeah. I love that so much. And I know we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I really think this is just, you know, lose this battle, but win the war and have those well-adjusted kids that can make the decisions and feel empowered. And it's not pressuring and really forcing them to make that decision. I think that's, that is something I had never thought of. So from this conversation, I know I am going to approach my son and the food choices and the eating in definitely a little bit of a different way. Alyssa, any other things that listeners who have kids that are picky is, you know, just something they need to hear on this podcast today? Oh my goodness, mama. I want you to hear me when I say this. You are doing an incredible job, truly. And you right now, who is listening to this? I don't mean all the other moms listening to this. I'm talking directly to you. You are doing an incredible job. Feeding kids is hard. You guys, no one told us when we got pregnant, right? Everyone focused on how hard breastfeeding was, right? And then all of a sudden, no one talked about how hard it is to feed a child three to six times a day, every day until they turn, you know, 12 or 18 even. And so this is a hard job. And what I always like to remind the mamas on my page is as long as you're feeding them, you're doing it right. When you have the mental, the physical, the emotional capacity to add on a few of these tips and tricks and start implementing them into your everyday life. Great. On the days that you don't survive, that's enough. That's enough. As long as you're feeding them, you're doing it right. And this is always something I keep in mind for myself when I consume information on podcasts and Instagram, because Otherwise it can feel really overwhelming that I have to do all the things all the time. I have to work on their speech and their motor development and, you know, their walking abilities and the way that they talk to grandparents and how, you know, all these things, picky eating included and their sleep. And it just can feel crushing. And our generation is the first generation that has this much information, especially around parenting for free, tangible all the time. And it's a lot of input. So protect your space, protect your energy, choose the things you want to work on with the energy you have and know that the rest will come too. Oh my gosh. I love that. I should be like, Alyssa preach. Yes. Moms, we can, this goes back to mom guilt and we can feel like we're not measuring up. And when we see other kids eating, you know, I have some friends and their kids are eating steak and salmon and, and my kids do that. <sighs> my son doesn't. And it's so disappointing yeah. where I'm like, buddy, it's, it tastes amazing and it's expensive yeah. and you're so lucky yeah. to eat it. Um, my last, my last little story, I know we're, we're running close on time here, but one thing I started saying to my kids and this did not work. This was like such a wrong approach. I told them that I explained in other underdeveloped countries that kids did not get to eat food like this. And in some places, children mm-hmm. even had to actually pick through garbage to find their next meal. And I told them mm-hmm. that I was going to start putting our trash on a plate and I would put their dinner on a plate and they could choose which one to eat. <laughs> My husband was like, I love that. do not say that. That is not okay. Eyes wide. Like, yes. Yes. My kids were so scared. And they're like, so we're going to have to eat the trash. And I was like, all right, that like message went wrong. But, um, Wait you a know, second. 
this is just following up for all the moms listening. You are doing a better job than you think. I promise you that you are not threatening your kids to eat trash like I am. So you're doing better than me at least. I love that. Cause I also, I always try to remind like people, you know, in my community that like you guys see me in my wheelhouse, like this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I'm good at. This is what I've studied. And so of course I think they can come to my stories and think I'm doing it all right. No, no, no. This, this little sliver of parenthood, maybe I have some more like tips and tricks around it, but everything else, oh my gosh, dumpster fire. So (laughs) it's just a good reminder to, you know, the comparison of, of thinking that because we can focus in on one thing that we have it all together. Absolutely not. Um, but thank you so much for sharing that story because I think it's so important to also remind moms that, we are going to make mistakes. I have 100% made mistakes with my kids around the table and in other areas for sure. My husband and I joke all the time. We're like, Oh, put it in the therapy fund. (laughs) Did that one wrong again, put it in the therapy fund. And you know, truly because we're going to make mistakes and the best thing we can do is learn how to repair those mistakes with our kids and recognize them and know that, okay, like you said, like, Oh, that wasn't quite the right tactic. Let's try something else. And we always have tomorrow, you know? I love that so much. Okay, Alyssa, let's jump into our lightning fire round. Um, so what are you currently binging on TV? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. Um, only murders in the building. Have you seen it? Ooh, no. What now? Hulu? Oh, I don't have um, it's on Hulu. Okay. I know a lot of people don't, I feel like anymore, but it's called Only Murders in the Building. It's so good. It's like a little true crime, but also kind of like a little funny. It's not too too deep or, you know, anything like that. So it's really good. I love it. What is your most recent book you've read? Oh, um, the other misses is like a thriller suspense. I'm showing a theme here. <laughs> yes. I'm seeing a theme. Okay. What yeah. is your, um, what's your go-to productivity app? Oh, um, my go-to one is Trello. However, I'm currently literally this week in the transition phase between Trello and Asana and I am loving Asana. We so use much. Asana. I do love that for all, all the business moms. That is an amazing, yes. amazing app. Um, sure. okay, oh, but- I'm going to put a personal one for my husband. We, we have a project. Oh, <laughs> I'm excited oh about it. with your husband. I never thought of that. I use this app called cozy and it's me. Oh, I've heard of that my husband and my nanny is on it. And so the three of us coordinate, it's a schedule. It even has grocery shopping lists on it. Like you can put anything on there. It's it, that app is amazing for personal. Okay. I'll check it out. I won't submit my husband to Asana yet. <laughs> yeah. Asana, that, that's intense. Like you're signing. Yes, I, although I could use Asana with my husband. Um, okay. What is your go-to de-stressor? Oh, such a good question. Walks for sure is like the first thing that popped into my brain. Um, this is actually an active thing that I'm currently working on in my own personal life is finding better de-stressors. So going for a walk outside 100%, but I have like boundaries on my walk that I need either alone or the kids can't bring any scooters or bikes that I'm gonna have to carry back. Myself. Interesting. Okay. I love so I'd like to go on a walk, walk alone. Yeah. Alyssa, this was amazing, super informational. And I'm sorry for everybody listening because I feel like this was a um, one-on-one session for me about my child, but I do really appreciate you answering everything about Beckett because I'm, I have a lot, I have all these notes. If you could see my page. Um, Alyssa, where can everybody find you? 
Yeah. So first of all, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Anytime I can share this message. Um, so the best place, probably the place where I hang out the most is on Instagram at nutrition for littles. There's little periods in between. So you can find me there. I hang out mostly on stories, um, and do a lot of teaching and things through that. And then of course, since you guys are clearly podcast listeners, I have a podcast as well. Nutrition for littles podcast. You can subscribe. I do weekly episodes right now. They're like 15 minute episodes, quick tips. Like they're directly to the point, mom life. I know that we're all busy. So each episode is just like one new thing to learn about. Um, so you can go over and subscribe over there. And of course, for those of you who are truly struggling and you're ready to just get picky eating out of your home and reform those connections with your kids. I created table talk and it's open all the time because I know moms need help now. So if you're interested in that, I also have that program available to you. It's an eight week program, um, that is specifically to teach you all the strategies and the foundations to have in your home to prevent or reverse picky eating. Plus some really important tangible things that you can get started on. I actually have two weeks in there specifically to tell you to integrate the things that you're learning into your life. Um, cause I know so many of us can just like hear things and never actually apply it. Um, so it's really hands-on, which is why I loved your podcast. I love that you were like, Hey, give them some takeaways so they can actually put this into practice. Absolutely love that. I love it. Okay. Alyssa, thank you so much. And anyone that's listening, um, this was an amazing conversation. So I'm excited for you all to get to know Alyssa and hear all the amazing things she has. So definitely check her out on Instagram and those other places. Alyssa, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me.